Okay, welcome into this week's edition of Please Bear With Me, your go-to podcast for all things Baylor football. My name's Scotty Swingler, and most of you know by now that I am a full-time youth pastor, and this podcasting Baylor football thing is 100% a side hustle. This past weekend, I had a youth retreat and took 65 students to a camp and did all the camp things, which was great. But I didn't get to watch the Baylor game live, and I did watch it back. Uh, of course, after reading the game summaries and watching the Twitter uh, messages all the way back through the game, and so, you know, I've got a pretty good feel for what happened Saturday, but I didn't quite write it, and so I don't feel like I'm quite as fired up or I don't have the emotional reaction I guess I would have had had I watched the game live, and so to help me reflect upon this past Saturday's loss to Iowa State, we have our good friend and yours, Tim Watkins, who did watch the game live. Yeah, I, I, it, it was an interesting game. We saw a lot of things that we were hoping to see. We saw a fast start, check. Kalen Barnes interception on an underthrown pass from Brock Purdy, and then a big 64-yard gain to Jared Atkinson, really the Bears' first 60-plus yard offensive play of the entire season. We score a touchdown. We get another touchdown off another Brock Purdy interception, and all of a sudden we're up 14 to nothing. In the first quarter, we had scored 17 points combined the last three first halves. To get 14 points in the first quarter against Iowa State, the best team out of the foursome that you had played out of TCU, out of Texas, out of West Virginia. This is the 17th ranked Iowa State team. This is a good Iowa State team, one that I had either second or third Uh, going into the preseason polls. I I was stunned. I was shocked. We made big plays. The defense was doing its job. Charlie Beer was throwing the ball quickly, decisively, accurately. We even had a spark of a running game with Craig Williams. So all of these things were major, major, major positives. Then Iowa State adjusted. And Baylor played a little conservative to end the second quarter, which I didn't love, but I understood receiving the ball. And And then the third quarter happened. And It was a disaster. It was a worst-case scenario and probably the worst true quarter the Bears have played all season. And it it just ended the game. It it really took a 14-point lead at one point after the first series ended in a punt and then a field goal after the muffed punt. They're up 24-10. Four straight touchdowns going into the fourth quarter for Iowa State. It turned the game, and really the first two – Uh, Two of the four were set up by special teams. A big kick return off of that field goal make to open the third quarter, and then a blocked punt set up. I think it was the third or fourth touchdown. And then all of a sudden you're down two scores where we found ourselves against TCU, against Texas, against West Virginia to a lesser extent, again trailing in the fourth quarter, and the Bears just didn't have enough in the gas tank to pull off the upset. And it, it was a it was a good game. It was a bad game. It was a hopeful game. It was a sad game. Obviously, with the big injuries, and I'm sure we'll discuss that next. It was a game with a lot of emotions, a lot of positives, a lot of negatives, and just a lot of confusion about where this Baylor team is going to find itself with a little bit of a dip in the schedule against Texas Tech, most likely the worst team they'll play, against a struggling and banged-up Kansas State team, likely the second-worst game that they're going to play in back-to-back weeks. you got to win one or at least hopefully two of these games to really salvage something from a, a very, very difficult year. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like I said, it's it's not that I didn't watch the game and kind of get some read on it. It's it's almost though like somebody spoiled the the next Avengers movie for me. So the emotional beats just doesn't resonate. So I'm just like watching the game, waiting on the Squirrel Williams injury. I'm like, when's it coming? Oh, there it is. Yep. Dang, that looks bad. And then Bernard, same same thing. And of course, the news today, both of them out <laughs> for the season. Um, and Craig Williams now, you hate to be like this, but multiple knee injuries, both knees. That story sounds a little familiar with a guy named Robert Griffin. Um, man, what a gut punch, dude. I literally got done saying last week that <laughs> Squirrel could be like Seastrunk. We got to keep him healthy. Yeah, he, he was the running attack. He had the first eight carries on the game. He led the Bears with three and a half yards per carry, which sounds terrible. And in, in the full picture of the world, it's not good, but it still would have led the Bears this season. And the semblance of a running attack really helped open everything else up. The Bears just haven't been able to run the ball. And, and Iowa State is a top 15, top 20 run defense. I, I really didn't think the Bears were going to have a lot of success running the ball. They're very, very good against the run, even with that three-man front, because it, it's tricky. They really develop and build out another tier outside of the box that can run in there and really defend the run plays very aggressively. So even though they're only showing a a five or six-man box, they've got two guys right outside it that are running in there to, to really do what Chris Miller did last year for the Bears. And what we saw, saw a Christian Morgan do at times against Iowa State, though he did have some bad coverage moments. He did have a couple of struggles when it came to angles uh, later in the game that set up some big gains and touchdowns for Iowa State. Really, this was a game that the Bears had to do their quick passing, set up some double double moves, take some shots down the field. Um, the, the offensive line actually did a pretty decent job when it comes to the overall stats. They only allowed the one sack. I didn't see a lot of times where Charlie Brewer had to make magic happen. There were a couple of times in the early fourth quarter where he did. But this wasn't a game that you put it on his shoulders or really his legs to make things happen and keep plays alive. The offensive line picked up the blitzes of Iowa State well. They protected him and gave him time in the pocket when he needed it. That first play to Jared Atkinson is is proof of that. It looked like a leak concept where um, Atkinson kind of flowed against the play design and, and 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 got lost in the shuffle and really came through empty. I haven't been able to see a wide version of it, but that's what it seemed and felt like live to me where it was a leak concept. And that takes a lot of time to develop that play. And the Bears had it. They haven't had that time uh, throughout this season. The run blocking, though, was a problem. Uh, no lanes, uh, not able to pick up and really hold their gaps. We got pushed back way too often. As a team, we were at 2.6 yards per carry, which is actually an improvement from what we saw against Texas and TCU, but it's still not where you want to be. You know, Baylor is one of the worst rushing attacks statistically in the nation right now. When you look at true yardage, when you look at averages, when you look at production out of the running backs, they're one of the worst 5 to 10 teams in the nation right now. That's not what Larry Fedora wants to do. That's not how he wants to run his offense. There, there needs to be a foundation of a running attack, and that's really holding things back. And I feel like a broken record. It's what we said under Matt Rule's first two years. It's what we said to a lesser extent in year three, but we had a lot of Charlie Brewer magic to save us early in the season while we were finding their sea legs and really became a solid to good running attack 
with Hasty, with Lovett, with Ebner when he was healthy later in the season to really overcome some of the limitations that Charlie Brewer had physically. This year, running game isn't there. Full stop. The passing game has been below average. The running game has been bad. And until the Bears can at least get an average running attack, they're going to scuffle and struggle to put up points. And we scored 31 points against a good off, a good defense this week. It was just a disastrous third quarter that really ended up hurting the Bears. And, and Coach Aranda spoke about that in his presser. You know, they're showing flashes. And really, this is the first true flashes that we saw, extended period at least, and didn't get it done because the third quarter they gained, I think it was 22 yards of offense in the third quarter. Let me look at the stats really quick for that. It was 22 yards on 13 plays, 1.7 yards per play, not a single first down the entire third quarter. Iowa State, 184 yards, 21 points, 10 first downs. That was a tired and broken defense in the third quarter. It was one that dealt with short fields due to the kickoff return and another short field to the punt return. I can't remember, or the punt block. I can't remember if that was the end of the third or going into the fourth. Um, the defense played well. They didn't play great, but they played well. The offense played good, except for when they really, really didn't, and they really, really didn't for that third quarter. And I got to ask this, dude, when you're talking about running attack, and I agree, it's been abysmal. Um, and I had the same thought exactly about the offensive line. Great pass pro, easily the best we've seen all year, no lanes through which to run. And I still have to ask this, I, acknowledging that that is true. One, where was Treston Ebner, and why does it feel like we gave him the single-digit number back and then refused to utilize him? And, of course, one of the four times he touches the ball is a big play that brings the Bears back into the game, right? And, and then, two, it feels like for four weeks in a row or four games in a row, the run game struggles, yes, but then Fedora, in response, just bails on it completely and refuses to set up anything in the run game because, oh, we'll just throw it every down now. And, and I wonder if you've noticed that and if, if he doesn't deserve some of that heat for that. I think he does. And I, I think this is the fourth straight game where Charlie Brewer is our leading rush attempt. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> you, you can't do that. He's been over double digit carries each of the last four games, three for sure, maybe four games as well. He had 10 rushes for 21 yards. Um, Craig Williams had eight for 28. And those, are, I believe, were the first eight carries of the ball game. So he went out in the mid-late second uh, quarter. Quaylen Jones had six for 16. Tay McWilliams had his first career carry for, for no gain. And then Tristan Ebner had two carries for negative two yards. Tristan Ebner is an interesting case study. And it's he dances too much for this offense. For how Larry Fedora wants uh, this 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 uh, running game to go, I thought he was going to be a tremendous fit because of his his dual, dual threat capabilities to be able to be a true threat, and we saw that in the fourth quarter touchdown on that fifty eight yard touchdown, where he can make something happen out of the backfield on just a, a very simple what either looked like an angle route or an option route, um, being just a dump off and, and the hot route really for Charlie Brewer. They brought a blitz, he was open, made one guy miss, he was gone. I would say two criticisms for me uh, with the the run game is Larry Fedora hasn't adjusted to his personnel because I think he's asking Tristan Abner and John Lovett to do things that they are not capable or strong at, and Craig Williams is, and that's why he's looked better 
in the first half uh, against Iowa State, in the second half against uh, uh, TCU. He fits what Larry Fedora wants to do, that style of running. Quick, sudden, get into the hole, make somebody miss after it. John Lovett and Tristan Ebner, uh, they're different running backs, but they're really zone gap running backs to me. And it, it Fedora needs to learn how to use his personnel a little bit better. And that, I think, is a, is a criticism of him because he has declared himself not watching any film on any of the uh, on any, any of the players and any of the teams. He wants a, a fresh perspective. Well, there's only so much you can learn from practice if you're not looking at what these guys have done. If that is the reality, and it's not just coach speak, that's a mistake. Secondly, Ebner doesn't look healthy again. And that's been the issue to me. Even on his 58-yard run, he didn't have that same explosive we, explosiveness I saw on those two kickoff returns for touchdowns against Kansas. He didn't explode up the field as he has. And that's been an issue with Ebner. He gets banged up very, very easily. He's never had more than a game or two of being healthy. And is that the physical nature of the way he plays? Is it his body type? Is it what they're asking him to do? I don't know, but it is a concern. Um, He's running the ball terribly. He doesn't have the production getting the ball out of the backfield. Is that his style? Is that Larry Fedora's play calling? It's not good. However, he's still been extremely productive out of the backfield catching the ball. And way too often against Iowa State, and this is something that um, Terrence Ganaway mentioned to us on our group chat that you, that you missed this weekend having fun at church camp. He said the hot routes are always out to the flats. And that's not a pass, especially to the field side that Charlie Brewer throws exceptionally well. What he does throw well is over the middle. Option routes, angle routes, just quick little dump offs, screen passes. What, where, where did Treston Ebner catch that ball that he took for 58 yards? Between the hashes, about four or five yards past the line of scrimmage, Brewer read the play, read the blitz, dumped it right off. Perfect touch, hit him in stride, he's gone. I don't think we've seen a single swing pass or outlet pass that has gained more than a yard to a running back or to a wide receiver. That's not the style that Charlie Charlie Brewer excels at. So I would like to see two things. Number one, I've already said, I want to see more more, um, screen passes in the middle of the field, utilizing the tight ends, utilizing the running backs between the hashes where he has success. If you can't block anybody, you might as well pretend you're not blocking them and run and block the second level when you're dumping the ball over their heads. Secondly, leveraging your hot routes over the middle of the field with your tight ends. We saw some flashes for Ben Sims against TCU. He was out against Iowa State. We saw some flashes for Drake Dabney. The tight ends can be a weapon in this offense. They excel in the areas of the field where Charlie Brewer is best at. They need to get them involved in the, in the passing game more. Gavin Holmes, Josh Fleeks, guys over the middle being able to make things happen after the, after the catch. That's another disappointment of mine is when's the last time you saw a wide receiver make somebody miss this season? I really haven't seen any of that. That's not Charlie Brewer's fault. That's not the offensive line fault. That's not Larry Fedora's fault. That's some of the players that are catching the ball in space, not making plays happen. The issues with this offense cannot be laid at one position or one person or one play caller. It is a collective failure of not knowing your identity, not knowing your personnel, asking players to be put in the wrong position or the wrong role inside of the offense, and players not making plays when put in the opportunity to do so. 
Man, you're just spitting the fire today, Tim. This is good stuff. I'm not even going to lie to you about how I feel right now. Well, let's let's hit some of these other talking points, too, that are just like, there's certain things I feel like that are just inescapable. Um, which one do I want to do first? Terrell Bernard, dude. Yeah. You just lost, you just lost an All-American linebacker. There's no, there's no other way about it. Like, the best player on the team, by a lot, a guy that at times it seems single-handedly has willed that defense into submitting <laughs> opposing offenses, right, and keeping the Bears in these games when the offense is just anemic. And, uh, you know, whether it's Abram Smith or Matt Jones, I know Aranda said it's probably going to be a lot of Abram Smith. You're not going to replace that. He – and this, this, it's actually funny to me. Last year – Around this time, we're losing Clay Johnston. All-American season, linebacker. You're never going to replace him. It's going to be impossible. The lack of – we have no trusted guys behind him. Terrell Bernard's barely played. And then he put together an All-American linebacker position group, I think five or six games of starting for Clay Johnston after that. Now we're in the same boat with Terrell Bernard. How are you going to replace him? How are you going to replace him? 55 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, interception. Your emotional leader, your star linebacker in really a defense that requires a star linebacker. This isn't the defense that the Bears played last year with a three-man front, really doing the yeoman's work to create things, to make things happen for that second line of defense and have them clean up, have the Chris Millers, have the Clay Johnsons, have the Jordan Williams and the Terrell Bernards clean things up. This defense asked the linebackers to make more plays themselves. And really Bernard and Pitrie had done by far the best work of that. Dylan Doyle has been steady. I don't think he's been impactful, but he's been what you want your middle linebacker to be. He's been cleaning up for two to four yard carries, making the safe happens. He's been uh, abused a little bit in in uh, pass coverage a little bit, especially against West Virginia, though they've adjusted that a little bit and asked Bernard to cover a little bit more. He's not the best cover guy either. Petrie's been phenomenal. Um, and he has to even be better somehow. And I was looking on PFF today and last week, uh, Bernard was ranked seventh and Pitrie was ranked ninth this week. Pitrie's ranked sixth. He's one of the best linebackers in the nation. Um, he's up there with Terrell Bernard. He doesn't have the tackling, but from coverage standpoint, he's exceptional, exceptional for the linebacker position for what you want from a coverage standpoint. Charlie Kohler didn't do a ton against the bears. I mind you, he's probably my favorite tight end in the entire NCAA, he had three catches for 45 yards. Thank you, Jalen Pitry. That's the only reason that happened. Because I, uh, for an entire series uh, in the third quarter, I watched Jalen Pitry just follow him along. To quote Hoosiers, he could have told us what a flavor of gum he was chewing. There was He was all over the man. And he got loose for a 22-yard touchdown. Uh, and Pitchery wasn't actually on that side of the field. Christian Morgan had him in coverage, it looked like to me, even though it's it's impossible to say who had a breakdown in the coverage without knowing the defensive call. But my gut says Christian Morgan took a bad angle and got beat on a double move. Um, but Pitchery was phenomenal. Now, Abram Smith, Matt Jones, they're not Terrell Bernard. And 
they're going to have to prove us all wrong, just like Terrell Bernard proved us all wrong last year when we were having this exact same conversation about Clay Johnson. And by golly, I hope we're all extremely wrong and we're not worried about and we're not worried about this in two weeks. Yeah, but science says that lightning never strikes the same place twice, Tim. So that's true. And it, and I, looking at the roster, I don't know if I don't ask Aston Logan to move over to that middle linebacker spot. And I don't know if I have Matt Jones as the Jack linebacker. I think that might actually be a better fit. Um, it, it stretches your defense a little bit. It makes it a little bit slower because none of those linebackers are as fast as Terrell Bernard outside of Pitchery. Um, it, it's going to be tough for the Bears to be able to overcome the loss of, of make no mistake, a front runner for Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year and an All-American linebacker. He was dominating the tackles, uh, the average tackles uh, per game uh, for the Big 12 Conference, over 13 and a half, or 13 and a third, excuse me, uh, coming into the game. I think it was four or five more than the next linebacker in the Big 12 Conference. And his ability to be isolated and really create pressure was the best on the team. I do think Matt Jones can do a lot of that, though. He is a strong pass rusher. But when it comes to making plays in the backfield, when it comes to just being solid and knowing exactly what to do, Abram Smith was playing line, uh, playing running back this time last year. Matt Jones was a, a defensive end this time last year in red shirting. Um, it's, it's just going to be tough. Yeah. And it's a lot yeah. to ask for a team that's lost four games in a row. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. Uh, the other talking point that I am tired of hitting, I'm exhausted. I don't want to talk about this but we have to because it has to be the storyline of the season because the backup quarterback on any given football team is everybody's favorite player. And here we go. Once again, what Travis Roeder calls the full Charlie Brewer experience, right? There's some incredible plays with his feet, right? There were a couple of those runs where I, I got giddy, even though I knew what was coming in the game, right? He, Hit some bombs. He missed some bombs. He threw some balls, and I'm like, I don't know how he placed that there. He threw some other footballs, that I'm like, I don't know why the heck he was throwing it way over there. And I think up until the very final throw, I'm like, Charlie Brewer has actually played pretty well. And that last throw was so bad, and it was so bad, and there's no excuse for it, and there's no beating around it. It was bad. It was a bad read. It was a bad throw. Even if he places the ball well, Snead's not going to catch it between three defenders. <sighs> I, I, I'm done. I'm tired of talking about it. What was your read on, on Chuck? He was fine. This was one of his better games of the season. He was fine. Um, the last throw taints it. Absolutely. He was productive. And coming into this game, he'd been really bad. I mean, looking at his statistics... He was at six and a half yards per attempt. That's not going to get it done in any world. He had he was at 7.7 his freshman and sophomore year and 8.1 last year. Yeah, yeah. He has he's now tied for his sophomore year of, of a completion percentage because he was he was 22 of 33, a very strong 22 of 33. The the intercept the first interception he threw. I put it half on him. I put it half on Yusuf Terry because Yusuf Terry was waiting for the ball and he should have come back for it and not allowed the uh, the defender to cut him off, saying that Brewer pump faked it twice and then threw it to him. He should have been more decisive on that. The, the, the second interception, 
I don't know if the read was worse or the throw was worth like, worse. I think it was debatable. It was obviously they were the both wrong read. Bad. Both it, bad. They were both bad. And 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 I didn't see the deep safety. I thought when I first saw it, I was like, it was a terrible throw. It was the right read because he got behind the two guys. And if you throw it high to the back of the end zone, worst case it's an incomplete pass. That's what he should have done. I don't know if the deep safety would have gone over and intercepted at that point, but then you live to see another down. I think it was second down when he threw that pass. The play though when all the, 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 the Sunday and Monday morning quarterbacks look is the, the frozen screenshot of Josh Fleeks wide open on the corner out and the cornerback falling down. I don't know the play call exactly, but I know in the traditional read, Travis, who had a great uh, video breakdown of it, is right. You're reading that linebacker to see if he follows uh, um, R.J. Sneed, and at that point, Fleeks is the read because he's one-on-one with outside leverage on the cornerback. And that should have been the read. Based on my high-level understanding of the offense, I don't know if that's true or not. But one can assume that's the truth. And Charlie Brewer had a great game when he was making quick, decisive reads. I don't know if that was the first read and that we were just getting lucky and it was all the first read and that's why it looked fast. But he, he missed the read. He did. And then he threw a, a a terrible pass that was easily intercepted. I could have picked that off. And I'm not in any physical shape to be picking anything off. It, but, but if you take that away, he gave you what you wanted. He gave you what you wanted. I, I put the blame of the game on the third quarter, and I put more of the blame for that on the play calling. Because the Bears were running into a brick wall. And they were doing quick passes against a defense that was crowding the line of scrimmage. I didn't see any double routes. I didn't see any double moves. I didn't see anything that would be a wrinkle to kind of get Iowa State to loosen up. And that's how you go for the third quarter. You go three plays, four yards, punt, muff, punt, four plays, two yards, field goal, three plays, negative two yards, punt, three plays, nine yards, punt. Five plays, seven yards, punt. That's the full drive sequence of the third quarter. Before the final final one, which started, I think it was one or two plays in the third quarter. In the third play, they actually picked up the first down on the first or second play of the fourth quarter. 22 yards. If you pick up one or two first downs in that third quarter in, in sequence, not even get points, that likely gives the defense a moment a breath, some time to get some oxygen, some time to understand what's going on and adjust. Minute 36, minute 18, 56 seconds, a minute 51. That's how much time they had off. That's not going to get it done. That's going to have a tired defense that is out there for a two-play 33-yard touchdown drive, an 11-play 71-yard touchdown drive, a five-play 80-yard touchdown drive, a three-play, 17-yard touchdown drive. That is the end result of not being able to pick up a a first down or two. That snowball of that third drive, which is 11 plays and 71 yards, that was a tired defense. That was an exhausted defense. And then you you kick off, you go three and out, and you get your punt blocked. They didn't have a chance on the third and the fourth series because they were just exhausted. After that, Baylor does a six-play, 80-yard drive. From that point, eight plays, 24 yards, and then the game-ending drive. 
the Bears needed a break on defense, and the offense couldn't provide it to them. Even if they didn't go anywhere and get any points, just a first down or two in that third quarter, just to give them three minutes, four minutes, God forbid, five minutes if we're lucky. <laughs> just give them a moment. Give them a breath. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think that third and fourth series change aggressively. That third and fourth touchdown drive change aggressively, and we're looking at a tied game with Brewer having a chance to win it with a field goal. And that's the difference. Just a, sure. just a first down or two changes the entire tenor of that game in that third quarter. And who knows? I might be all making it up, and my, my green and gold glasses are blinding me to the truth that we were always going to lose that game and not upset the 17th-ranked team and number one team in the Big 12 Conference, mind you. We're all getting greedy here, folks. That was a game we should have lost, by the way. We beat the spread, I believe. So we Vegas, yeah, we Baylor did. wins. Yep. You can't be too upset that you lose on the road to the 17th ranked team when you've lost three games in a row to significantly lesser opponents in my mind. We're getting greedy here, folks. If we play the same way against Texas Tech, against Kansas State, we are going to win those two games. Yeah, and that's a fair way of looking at it. And at the same time, I really resonate with what I did see Ganaway say this week, which is, you know, at the end of the day... (laughs) Moral victories only go so far, and it's real victories that that count, right? And and so, with that in mind, I have seen a very split Baylor fan base in this way. I, the Baylor fan base is that is, new? No, it is not. Uh, but in this way, this season, the Baylor fan base seems very split on the next two or three years after this season. Uh, I see some that it feels like it's already doom and gloom. Oh gosh, we're going back to Kevin Steele. Like, I mean, I've literally seen people say, I have not seen this level of filling the blank since Kevin Steele. I've literally seen people say that this year. And then there's people that would say, hey, 2017, we just saw a one-win season that looked really awful. And two years later, because we had the right coach and because he ended up getting the right players, we were in a Big 12 championship game. I mean, so I looked at this Iowa State game, and it felt to me like 2017. It felt like, wow, I see the potential. I see young players getting a lot of snaps and making good plays. I can't tell you, despite the loss, how much I'm excited that Quaylen Jones is playing that Yusuf Terry is getting a ton of snaps, that both tight ends, Ben Sims and Drake Dabney, are getting snaps and making big plays. I'm excited that some other linebackers are going to get to play, though I hate to see Bernard out. I, I love seeing Mark Milton get significant snaps. And I think back to 2017 and I say, wow, there were a lot of those games in 2017 that you're like, we should have won that. I can't believe we let that slip in the third. I can't believe we gave up all those things on defense. And, and, and then we came back the next two years and had a pretty good football team. It was, it was pretty good. The counter, <laughs> the counter argument, and I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot, and, I, and you're, my, you're my guy this week, but the counter argument to what I just laid out, because I, I look at this team and I think, this doesn't look that dissimilar from 2017. The counter argument to that is, okay, but the difference is, this team isn't coming off a Jim Grobe 6-6 six and six toxic locker room. This team's coming off a Big 12 championship game. This team has those recruiting classes that Rule brought in 
that were better than Art Bryles recruiting classes. This this team has those recruiting classes in the building. This team maintained some continuity with McGuire and Bell and, and lots of the old guards staying around. This team is more talented. I hear a lot most I think most people think this team is more talented than the guys we had in 2017. And and so there's a little more I think of a of a uh People are hesitant to embrace that this is just another new coaching staff rebuild and we're going to just bounce back in the next couple of years. How do you respond? I know I just talked a lot, probably way too much, but how do you respond to all of that on both sides of that? What would you say to what you think this team has shown that, that and how it bodes for the future? So in regards to the Kevin Steele comment, whoever made that or thought that or breathed that into the existence, stop. You don't remember how bad it was. <laughs> you don't remember three straight weeks, October 7th of 2000 through October 21st of 2000. 28 nothing, 24 nothing, 59 nothing, three straight games without a point. I was there for every single snap of those three games. That's my guy. You don't remember how bad. It was one big 12 game in 2000, 2001 and 2002 Baylor scored more than 30 points. Kansas, the second worst team that I'd ever seen in person behind probably Baylor a year or two earlier. I I mean, it's, it's never going to be that bad against guys. It, It cannot be that bad again because the resources, the, the focus, of this university and what they've put into Baylor football. You want to talk about quality control coaches. You want to talk about off the field assistants. You want to talk about, you know, all of the recruiting personnel and the general manager and all of this stuff that we have. Yeah. We didn't have that in 2000 through 2002 because we didn't have the money to do it. We didn't have money to buy new woods. So remember where we came from. It ain't that bad. Now, is it better than 2017 or is it worse? I think it's early to say we still have two very winnable games ahead. And that will really dictate what this season looked like. You get blown out or lose badly to Texas Tech. You lose badly to Kansas State. We can have the conversation that's worse than 2017 because we still have OU. We still have Oklahoma State on the calendar. And, and those are two of, I think, the better Big 12 teams along with Iowa State. I think this is also a significantly more experienced team than what we had in 2017. People don't remember how young we were, starting yeah, starting with a, a freshman, right. Charlie Brewer, around the halfway point. Jalen Pitry was a starter that first week against Liberty. I don't want to talk about that game. Jaron McVeigh was a starter as a walk-on, I believe as a freshman, that game. That was a team that didn't know who it was, what it wanted to be, and was coming from a complete 180 when it came to who they were under the prior regime and who they were going to be. This year, it's tough to make an apples-apples comparison because 2020 has not been an apple in comparison to anything. And I, I still say the inability for them to have a spring camp, for them to have a fall camp, for them to be able to know their players in person on a personal level, have them come into their office. 
bond with them off the field significantly more than what we've seen. I was actually talking to one of the coaches this past week prior to the Iowa State game, and I had noticed last week, late in the week, they had some bonding events going on with the team. Coach McGuire had one. Coach Pallage had one. Uh, uh, a Juice had the running backs over to his house, I believe. And we hadn't seen those this year. And talking to one coach, they're like, yeah, some of us did one during the bye week. That's the only time these players have been able to bond as humans with this coaching staff. Maybe one or two nights when in a normal season, you're having weekends over at the house at spring camp and fall camp. You're having weekly nights out with the group. Can't do that this year. So from a personal level, how am I supposed to trust the guy next to me in a Jake Burton if I've actually never really seen him outside of football camp? How am I supposed to trust my new a position coach and what he's teaching, what he's wanting me to do when I, I don't know him and he, he might not even know my full name? And that's a problem. And I, I had a post on the board last week when it came to the success, or, or for better words, the lack of success for every single first-year coach in a Power 5 uh, school this year. And out of the 12, three of them hadn't played a game yet at that point in the Pac-12. But only one of them had a winning record at 4-3 and three, um, with uh, Coach, I think it's Coach Halfley at, at Boston College. Everybody else had a losing record. And you're talking about experienced coaches like Mike Leach, experienced coaches like Lane Kiffin, experienced coaches that have done this before not sitting in the head coaching seat for the first time in their careers like Dave Aranda is. I think it was foolish to expect Dave Aranda to be Matt Rule in, in week one of his first season. He's not. Matt Rule is, is getting paid millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to coach in the NFL, the highest level of, of, of football. He was coveted by the richest man in the NFL to coach his team. And for a team that was supposed to be one of the worst in the NFL this year, they just lost to Kansas City by two points and, and, and almost had a game-winning field goal in the last seconds. They already have three wins. They lost a tough game last week against Atlanta. It's a, it's a significantly better team than anybody expected. And Matt Rule and most of the staff that was at Baylor gets, should get credit for that. Why are you doing that to me right now, Tim? Why are you, why are you pulling at my heartstrings like that? I'm a realist, man. I, I, I try to see the big picture and, and understand that these aren't – these aren't bits of data. These aren't these aren't pixels on a screen. These aren't robots. These are 18 to 22-year-old kids that are going through an unprecedented time in their lives when it comes to COVID, when it comes to lack of social lives, when it comes to the protections and the testings and the and the procedures that they're going to do to mind you entertain us. They don't have to do this. They could all opt out. I don't think anybody would be mad at anybody. I'm not mad at a single kid for opting out and saying, yeah, I don't want to deal with this crap. You know what? I don't want to deal with this crap either. I don't. They're human beings. This is a tough situation. They're going through it with a new coaching staff that they haven't been able to get to know on a personal level. I want you to run through this wall. Who are you again? I just I, I I know you for a couple of months and I really don't know you as a human. I just know you as a guy that's trying to teach me how to block properly. It, it's not just an on and off switch. It's tough. This is a difficult conversation, a difficult time for these kids. Do we want them to win? Do we want them to perform? Do we want them to do their best? Yes. But it's tough, man. This is tough. 
Man, you just took me to football church, Tim. That was good. I, I Man. Man, I did not see this coming when we started talking today. This was good. You hit the nail on the head. I don't have anything to say back. I mean, because that's so true. Well, and, and it is so much of why Matt Rule was successful. How much was he constantly, and we heard about it from everybody, constantly hanging out with everybody on the football team. He, the head coach, had all the position groups to his house, hanging out with his son, right? And and doing that work, playing the ping pong tournaments and, and what have you with all the guys. And I remember when he started doing that, the guys thought he was a little whack for doing it, right? Oh, this guy just walks in here and challenges us all to ping pong games. I don't get it. But it worked. He was he was their friend, right? And And of course, when he was as intense and demanding as he was, they rose up to it. So... Dude, I think you hit it on the head, and I was texting a couple guys today that I think we have severely underestimated the lack of practice and the lack of continuity, but you you took it to that next level of it's not just that we didn't practice, it's not just that we've missed a couple weeks due to COVID, it's, it's we, we haven't even been able to hang out, <laughs> right, outside of the weight room or outside of the field, and that's not hanging out, that's business. Yeah, and the lack of practice time, It'd be it'd be silly to say it didn't impact Baylor against West Virginia and against Texas specifically. Those are winnable games with normal practices, I think. TCU, I think that was an aberration, especially the first half. It just snowballed on them. And, and, and this team won a lot of games last year. And they were riding high, and they're not riding high right now. And that can be very, very difficult on young men or old men like myself. That's, it's tough when you're used to winning, when, when you've won last year and went to the Sugar Bowl and appeared in the Big 12 title game, you're coming up, you're now a senior, you're now a junior, you're now expecting, well, it's our turn. It's my turn to take this team to a bowl game. It's my turn to win a bunch of games. It's my turn to catch all the touchdowns. It's my turn to make all the interceptions. And then it doesn't happen. And that can snowball on you. It's 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 natural human instinct to have failures upon failures upon failures. It eats at you. I, I'm in sales, and I'm supposed to sell one deal a year, uh, one deal a month. That's kind of my goal. If I go a month or two without selling, I am not a happy person. I am I am just despondent. I am upset. I think I'm going to get fired. It's the worst. It's the worst feeling knowing that I haven't done my job. And. That's what these kids went through, I think, against TCU. And a couple of people put it out on Twitter that this Iowa State game and how Baylor comes out, how we start this game, how we fight, is really going to tell us a lot about Coach Aranda. And if that is true, we should all be very, very happy about what we saw on Saturday in the first half. That was the fight. That was the passion. That was a team that wanted to win, that wanted to battle together, that came out with a plan and executed that plan. The second half didn't go as well, specifically the third quarter. Iowa State adjusted. Baylor was slow. A couple things went against them. I think the play calling was was troublesome, and it didn't work. And it snowballed on them in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, they just they didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough in the tank to get it done, and, and, and Charlie Brewer made a bad pass. And that's how you lose games when you're trailing 14 late in the, third, or late in the fourth quarter, is you make one mistake. We made one mistake against TCU when we didn't get for, when uh, Brewer did not find the guy open on fourth down and they broke up the pass. Sitting there, I could I, when they were coming back, I was like, well, we have to be perfect. 
6158. I, I remember sitting in the stands. I looked at my wife. One more first down for TCU and we lose this game. They didn't get it. They didn't get into the first down. One more punt for Baylor and we lose this game. They didn't punt again. I said the same thing against TCU two weeks ago. It's like, if they get one good drive, it's over. Or if we don't score, it's over. Then we didn't score. And, and it was over. You have to be perfect when you dig that large of a hole. And Baylor built up a mountain and then saw it crumble. And then all of a sudden they were in a 14-point hole with nine minutes to go. And for them to fight back, again, fight back, put themselves in a pretty decent chance of tying that game late, just didn't work. So there's positives from that game. Again, the 17th ranked team in the Big 12 Conference, who I think is a top 10 caliber team, and they would be top 10 if they didn't lose that weird game to Louisiana Lafayette. That's a good football team, guys. And that's a team that Matt Campbell has his identity stamped on in dark black letters all over it. Coach Aranda barely has any ink on this team yet. There's there's no identity of what he wants this team to be, truly to be yet. They don't know yet. That's what's going to give us hope next year and two years down the road. Don't look at personnel. Look at the program as a whole. That's the fun and the, the terrible thing about college. These guys are only here for, for two to maybe five years at most, and they're in our lives and they're gone, and we're watching Denzel Mims on Monday Night Football against the Patriots instead of watching him come from Dangerfield and play for, for, for four years for the Bears. It's, a, it's, a, it's poof. It's gone. It's done. Now it's Tyquan Thornton's time. Now it's Seth Jones' time. You know, now it's it's a, a one of the new guys that I'm completely blanking on in the 2021 class. All my, my recruiting guys will be upset with me about that. But it's somebody else's time. By the time the Bears are good again under Iran, it's going to be a couple. It's going to be a year or two. Are we going to win 11 games and go to the Sugar Bowl and, and, and go to the Big 12 title game in year two or year three? I, I, I don't think so. That's a long shot for Baylor, full stop. We're not Oklahoma. We're not guaranteed a spot in the Big 12 title game almost every single year. It's not. We're not the exception. We're not the rule. We're the exception to that appearance like most of the Big 12 conference. So understanding what our expectations should be next year, bowl game. In a normal year, bowl game. Two years from now, bowl game. Three years from now, bowl game. It's going to be a bowl game. Then maybe once every five years, you make that run at a Big 12 title. You make that run at a at a, a January bowl game. That's a realistic expectation for what Baylor can and should be consistently. Maybe every 10 years, you get in the top four and you make something crazy happen. That's the hope. We're not in Oklahoma. We're not a Clemson. We're not an Auburn. I think only seven teams have gone to the college football playoffs so far. So are we one of the seven best programs in college football? No. And it's going to take a lot more Matt Rule last year versions of Baylor than it is two years ago or three years ago. It's going to take what our brows was close to doing earlier in the, in the teens for us to be, be able to do that consistently. But look at Oregon. Oregon was supposed to be the next blue blood. They took a dip because that's what every program does under every kind of coach. Alabama took a dip. Texas has been a dip for about half my life. So it happens. You know, John Blake was a head coach for Oklahoma for a few years. They sucked. 
<laughs> so, you know what? Baylor's going to be fine. We're going to go to bowl games again. We're going to be able to be in McLean Stadium and have it 100% full, hopefully, next year. We're going to get together as a family. We're going to argue about ridiculous things, and we're going to chant for the third-string quarterback uh, to come into the game when we should be chanting for Gary Bohannon, by the way, guys. just He's the backup for those doing the chants. We're going we're gonna to be ridiculous. We're going to be loud. We're going to be angry. We're going to get on Twitter arguments and Twitter wars that make no sense to 98% of the rest of the population. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. We're going to have a blast. That was too good. You were literally preaching. <laughs>